Welcome to the Wired Biohealth Podcast. My name is Jacqueline Hall, and I am joined by your show's host, Dr. Evelyn Higgins. Hey, Jackie. Great to be with you again, Doc. Same here. So today's show, it's a little bit heavy, and I don't mean in a way that's difficult to understand, but we're really going to identify why diagnosing and prescribing and treating based on vocabulary is falling short. And I want to jump right into a stat that was from Colorado University in 2022. So more than half of people diagnosed with one psychiatric disorder will be diagnosed with a second or third in their lifetime. But even more than that, about a third have more than four. Not shocking, because we see that all the time at Wired BioHealth. And why is that? Well, you know, when first off, let's start with the fact that diagnosing by vocabulary, what if my vocabulary isn't your vocabulary or that of the physician who's prescribing or that of the observer if it's a kid, you know? So what if we're not on the same page there? Mm -hmm. We start out already behind the eight ball, so to speak. Right. And then when we don't have objective information when we don't have lab data as to why we're coming to this conclusion, we're kind of throwing a dart and hoping we land close. Right. When we're not, and, and, and just in, in neuroscience with neurotransmitters, there's never just one neurotransmitter that's off. That's not the way the body works. Right. The body is always trying to stay in what we call homeostasis or balance. So it's going to borrow from other places to keep the show going. So that's going to change the dynamics of everything. And then if we're prescribed, and I am not anti-pharmaceutical whatsoever, big disclaimer here, I am not anti-pharmaceutical. What I am anti is jumping, using it as a first resort instead of our last resort, not putting in the time to figure out the why behind what's happening. So it, it, it doesn't shock me to know that. So what's going to happen? We start out on a pharmaceutical. There's going to be side effects. There's side effects to everything. And it's like risk-reward. As right. long as the reward is greater than the risk, we stick with the plan. Mm-hmm. But when that's not happening, then we go to our second. Then we go to our third. Then we go to our fourth. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah. And what's so scary is that when you come up with a diagnosis, it's based on a series of criteria this behavior, that behavior, right. the frequency, right? But that doesn't tell us what biochemically is causing those behaviors. Right. And so that's why it's so important to integrate this biological piece, what we do at Wired for Addiction, into someone's plan of care. Right, right. So when we think about how early somebody can be diagnosed, you think, okay, it's got to be depression can be in your 40s, 50s, maybe when your life has changed, you're an empty nester, you've just retired, things have changed drastically for you. You can actually be diagnosed with depression as early as three years old. And signs and symptoms can be shown earlier than that. That's terrifying, right? Terrifying. Because what's going to be the first thing that a prescriber jumps to with depression? A pharmaceutical. Right. And so if, number one, you're three years old, so you're not able to communicate what you feel. This is primarily going to be based on what parents observe, sure. what the babysitter, the grandparent, the daycare worker, whatever that interaction is right. based on observations. And at that time, a three-year-old can't really communicate as effectively as an adult. Well, it's because of what's happening at daycare. It's because of what's happening at school. I'm trying to get your attention. I'm trying to act out. I don't can't say all those things, but my behavior is saying that. Right. And to to jump to making believe that's not happening, let's try to put a muzzle on that. 
Uh, really slippery scary. slope especially at that age mm-hmm. i mean that's not good practice at any age but you've got a three-year-old we've actually had experiences like right. that at wired biohealth can you talk about that Doc? sure um youngest we've ever had was two years old and was already on an antidepressant wow prescribed by the local physician who parent came to us thankfully and you know said this is what's going on my gosh two years old what's happening and and it turned out it was so many other things that were causing that and we put the time in to figure that out yeah that's it and it goes back to objectively identifying in somebody's biology so that's taking into consideration genes which Mm -hmm. you talk about frequently right the neurotransmitters and the hormones right because we're able to measure these things as young as two and then make recommendations based on that. sure and when we just talk about someone's genes your DNA right you're born with that here's your cards play them out right right that's not going to change but what does change is the expression of those genes that's called epigenetics which to me is the most exciting part of science today knowing that we can change the expression and isn't that what we should be doing to have our best life. Yeah, the director of the NIH has recognized that, saying that we are now on track to be able to change the trajectory of someone's health picture based on DNA. Right, we all have predispositions to something. We all come into the game with something. Some families, it might be cancers, other families, cardiac disease, other families, mental health addictions shouldn't and and we'll have that open dialogue you know there's a lot of cancer in the family so i just want you to be careful you know wear sunscreen you know whatever kind of cancer we're talking about and and families will have those open conversations but when it comes to mental health and addiction we don't want to have those conversations and we don't want to also we don't want to make believe that there is a genetic application here yeah absolutely and so we think about depression being diagnosed as young as three Now we get into severe ADHD being diagnosed as young as four. Right, right. That's a whole ball of wax right there. First off, a very good friend of mine, Father Tom in Chicago, called it nature deficit disorder, which I love because you look at the life of today's four-year-old from when I got to be a four-year-old, I got to play. Right. I got to be outside. Yep. Four-year-olds today don't. They're living the lives of adults. Yeah. You know, they have schedules, you know, and you have practice for everything in the book because you're going to be the greatest there is. And that's another whole topic of another entire show. But, you know, we we start so early in medication. And then when that four-year-old turns into a 13-year-old who starts smoking weed, and then we're like, why did you do that? Well, I took a pill, so I wouldn't have ADD, so... This is legal now. Right. Is yeah. it legal for you? Another conversation. It's legal now, so why not? Sure. It's always turning to something outside of yourself to change how you feel on the inside, and that's where we develop this slippery slope of we just take something to feel different. Right. We, we start, in that case, someone learning how to self-medicate really early in their life really early and then changing their physiology on a whim without knowing what neurotransmitters and genes require support and then expecting that to change your emotional state in a whim because you don't like how you're feeling right now you know what that's part of life yeah those things are part of life every day is the home run 
Every day is sometimes you got up to bat and you got hit by the ball. You still got on base, right? You're that kid that you always want to just get hit by the ball. Right. No, but seriously, that's life. And you have to learn how to build character to get to the next place. Right. Yeah, we talk about resiliency and how that is very much a psychological, social component of behavioral health, right? But then there's this biological piece of resiliency, and I think we see that in one of the genetic single nucleotide polymorphisms, genetic SNPs that you talk about, Doc, COMT. Sure, sure. Where, you know, someone is uh, more prone to anxiety or depression and stays in that. So, so example is like, you know, you're on your way to the recording studio this morning and somebody cut you off. And you are still talking about it when you get here, when we start, in a break, you're still talking about it, you know, let's have lunch after we do this, still talking about it, you go home, you're telling your husband about it, and then the next day, still nobody better cut me off today, you can't let it go, you stay in that, right? And, and that can be identified, and if we isolate, measure, identify, we can then make changes to that expression. That's what's so amazing to me is that although you're going to have that gene forever, that you can turn off the bad part of that gene, those aberrant behaviors. Right. And that's only able to be done by first identifying the problem and then making recommendations that are scientifically validated. Right. Looking at those biochemical pathways. Yeah. What needs support? The SNPs that we talk about, Wired BioHealth didn't discover them. These are right. the NIH, these are NIDA, NIAAA, NIMH, all these acronyms because it's governmentese, right? <laughs> but all relating to high-dollar, high-science individuals that are saying there is a genetic piece of behavioral health. And here on the podcast, we want to make it actionable so you guys are able to learn about these things but also have a follow-up to call the office, the 1-888-841-7099 number to schedule a consultation because this shouldn't be just for scientists. This shouldn't be for the wealthy. This isn't the Steve Jobs genome back in 2008 that was $100,000. This is available to regular people now, but it's only good if you know about it. That's why we do this. Right, and isn't that beautiful, using that example of Steve Jobs of $100,000 to get that done. You know, now it's for everybody and should be for everybody because then at the end of that, if everybody operates better, don't we all win? Don't we all win? We talk about the Kaiser study. Right. Of Is it 53%? 53%. Of Americans have now been diagnosed. Diagnosed. Right. With anxiety and or depression. So think about the undiagnosed people running around just trying to figure out how to get through those feelings. Right. Either recognizing it and doing the best they can or just pushing it away and not saying anything right and if you're a part of society on any given day you can see that those numbers are truly opening numbers of 53 percent because the way people are treating other people so unkind yeah so is that really necessary to treat that person that way you know answer is no but that's where we are right now. So is it there, sift there and admire? Well, that's where we are. That's where our new stats take us. Right. Or to do something about it. Do something about it. Because when I hear those stats, I hear that one in two people listening to this show right now could use support from Wired BioHealth testing. Right, right. And if it's not you personally, it's certainly somebody in your group, be it your kids, your parents, your students in class, your coworkers. A multitude of individuals whose lives can be changed based on one person's mental health being objectively supported. Right. And, you know, probably time to share this, Jackie, when people come to us and they're like, well, I see a therapist. It's just not going 
as fast as I wanted to or where I wanted to. Keep doing that. We're supporting the physiology. Yeah, that's it. And your unique physiology. And I love that you use that word unique because if you are getting the, well, do the eight hours of sleep. Are you drinking eight ounces of water? Now that I'm eight glasses of water, now that I'm saying this, it seems like the magic number is eight. <laughs> but it's <laughs> magic true. Magic eight ball. Because the diet, the exercise, sleep hygiene are all important. But right. those are kind of the low-hanging fruit. Right. That's common sense. Yeah, that's common sense. And so if you have done those things, those self-care tools, and you've accessed everything in your toolkit, and it's not moving the needle to where you need to, wired biohealth would make sense for you. Absolutely. So we've been talking about these various psychiatric conditions. We can't go without mentioning OCD because mm -hmm. I was shocked to learn that the average age of diagnosis is between 10 and 12. So think about a three-year-old, a four-year-old, four-year-old and a 10-year-old having equal access to all of these diagnoses based on behavior. Because you think about people act out in different ways to self-medicate or just respond to physiologically what we're feeling, mm -hmm. right? So I know when I give presentations and I talk about some of the neurotransmitters that we look at, typically I name five. And of those five, four of them all list feelings of depression. Mm -hmm. So not only if you have the CERT gene, which I would love for you to talk to our listeners about, but now you're just trying to address that serotonin pathway, what about that dopamine? What about that epinephrine? What about that? The list right. goes on and on. So right. if you're just going based on vocabulary, Right. How do you really know what the problem is? So example then would be someone who's been on an SSRI medication for decades without seeing the results that they're supposed to be seeing. Right. And it's, well, we'll double it. We'll double it again. We'll switch it. We'll, you know, and, and you know the game if you've been on it. Right. And what happens to that person emotionally? They start to own that. I just don't want to be better. There's no validation. It's just me. Right. Right. And if this person has common term, the CERT gene, it's going to make an SSRI drug less effective for them potentially. So this is the target of therapeutic drugs where they, they target to work. And if you have this, it's potentially not going to be as effective as it is for someone else. So that person that's like, we did everything and it didn't work. This is just me right? This is how I am. I don't care. I don't try hard enough. Not the case. That's exactly right. And not only what it does to that individual psyche, but also their body. Sure. Because now your kidneys, your liver, your bladder are having to process all these chemicals for decades. Right. Right. Exactly. So we get a child started on that track early. We're opening up a whole can of worms that probably could have been avoided early on by addressing their unique physiology. Sure. If somebody at 10 years old is already on daily medications for the rest of their life, potentially the stress on your liver, yeah, on your bladder, on your kidneys, as you say, is enormous. And these aren't one-off situations because pediatricians are now screening for a generalized anxiety disorder. Yep. So we're not at all blowing this out of proportion. This is an epidemic and truly a pandemic. I mean, we've got clients from around the world that are talking about mental health issues. Right. It's not unique to the United States. Um, in a segment that we have called We Get Emails, yeah. we actually heard from one of our clients in Australia just, talking about just this. Just this morning. This yeah. is what I woke up to. So I'm going to read this now. And, and in this segment, as Jackie said, we get emails. Feel free. You know, reach out to us. Yeah, it's uh, support at wiredbiohealth.com. So feel free to write in and share with us. These are your questions or your stories. Hello, Dr. Higgins. 
I wish I could do this in an Australian accent. That would be cool. <laughs> oh, Dr. Higgins, I couldn't wait until our next appointment to tell you. I mentioned to you a couple of weeks ago about my mom's friend having mental health difficulties. She did that pharmacogenomics test for it, and it came back and said that the antidepressant that she had been on for 20 years, she wasn't metabolizing it. It was in the red column, which means danger needs to be changed, right? right? And for years, all they've been doing is upping her dose. She got it up to 400 milligrams. It's called Effexor. I thought I reached the maximum on it, and I got up to 220 milligrams. But she rung mom, bawling her eyes out, saying she had never felt so validated in her life that it wasn't all in her head. The doctor and the owner of the practice said she couldn't believe this test exists and no one knows about it. She wanted to know how mom's friend knew about it, so I'm hoping I might be able to chat to this doctor and see if she can make it part of routine testing before anyone goes on medication. They're weaning her off of it as we speak to go on one that she can metabolize. I know it's not a complete fix because you don't know exactly what neurotransmitters are out of balance, but she said she feels like she owes me her life and it's given her a reason to keep going now. Just thought it was a little happy story to tell you that you're making, I don't know if I can read this, you're making a difference to a small town in Australia too. That's amazing. You think that's about, why we do what we do. That's why we do what we do this girl has been suffering and saying I need help and going to the people that she trusts can help her. Yeah. Right. And because they don't know that a test like this exists, she doesn't have access to it. And this person, our client had reached out to me and said, what can we do here? And I said, do a pharmacogenomic test because she has to, you know, odds are she's on the wrong medication that she can't metabolize. And these suicidal ideation and this depression and this anxiety is because it's becoming toxic in her i said that's the quickest thing we can do do that that's our first step is the band-aid right look at how it came back yeah that's amazing and we know that pharmacogenomic testing is not going to tell you what is most effective for you but it can tell you what is least likely to hurt you so as the first step right that's kind of the let's start here and then include, of course, the Wired BioHealth panel. Because right. we do, as, as she said, we want to get to what genes are causing these feelings, what neurotransmitters, what hormones are causing this. But start there because you think this young lady, she could have said tomorrow, I can't do this anymore. And that's where she was when she reached where out. she was. Yeah. Yeah. And this makes a lot of sense. If you're feeling those feelings, 988 is the new number that's been put out. It's the Suicide Prevention Hotline. There is always a solution, and ending your life isn't it. So call 988 if you're feeling that way. Absolutely. So when we look at the stats, 37% of women have been diagnosed with depression in their lifetime compared to 20% of men, right? But then when we look at completed suicides, men die of suicide at four times the rate of women. What does that tell you? That's a head scratcher, right? Yeah. To me, it says that women are saying, I need help. Whereas a man won't because won't. of the stigma that's still attached to it. And we're saying that there's no stigma. Yeah. There is. It's not manly to cry and complain. Yeah. And we especially see this in people of color community. Mm -hmm. yep. It becomes even more repressed. And so you see that people are saying, I just need to end this rather than A, recognize, B, get support, and C, find actionable tools. Right. Because all those three things are available. Mental health complexities are not character defects. 
Not at all. It's, it's what we talk about all the time. It's what's right? happening in your physiology. <laughs> yeah, right? it's, it's very much a part of your, not just DNA in a doom and gloom way, but here's something to identify. Right. And when we identify it, it gives us something to cling on to when we feel like we're at the end of our rope. Knowing that there is A, a reason, but B, a solution right. can be the thing that makes somebody like this friend say, okay, let's keep going. Right. Yeah. The hope was there when I'll say her name, Sophie, because she's going to come on one of our episodes. When Sophie shared with her, Sophie contacted me right away and said, what can I do right now? And I said, get a pharmacogenomic. And she went and told this woman, the doctor and the owner of the practice didn't even know it existed. Right. Right. So it was, here's what you can do. That woman had hope in that moment. She could hang on for another day because when this was not going to hang on for another day situation. Right. She hung on for another day, waited to get the test results back. Yeah. Had What did she say? I had validation. Validation. And that's what we want to provide on the Wired Biohealth podcast. There's a reason to Absolutely. mental health complexities, right? So I think that's a great place to leave it today, Doc. Absolutely. Wonderful episode. Happy news. Like we said, we get emails. We so. get emails and happy news are the best kind. The best kind. So if you've got questions, you've got happy stories, email support at wiredbiohealth.com. And if you are feeling these feelings of the mood disorders, of the focus, of the anxiety, of the depression, whatever the case may be, call us. The consultation's totally free. It's 1-888-841-7099 or visit the website wiredbiohealth.com. Schedule an appointment at your leisure but we're here to help. We care. We want you guys to get out of your car today if you're heading into the office or school, or maybe you're just listening to feel like you learned something today. So now Absolutely. with that knowledge, take the next step. So subscribe, like, comment, and we'd love to hear from you. Share it with your buddies because you know what? We are all in this together. We are. Thanks, Doc. See you next week, Jackie. Bye. Bye. Bye.